the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk interesting research that's out that I suspect if you look at the world around us here in the United States and read the headlines with any frequency, you'd probably see that, uh, yeah, this this sort of rings true, at least um, spiritually speaking. Um, We take an examination of what's going on within the evangelical church today, and um, George Barna, of course, who's done a wonderful job down through the years documenting trends within uh, the Christian world in general and and evangelicalism in specific down through the years. Um, More recently, uh, one of his surveys coming out that demonstrates, and this ought to set all of us back on our heels that identify as evangelicals, that less than five of us um, in a typical church are personally involved with evangelism. And a typical church, by the way, that identifies as evangelical in nature, (laughs) less than 2% of their budget is dedicated to, you guessed it, evangelism. So when you take the evangel out of evangelical or evangelism, what are you left with? And what about the mandate to the church to go into all the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? Maybe it's time for some re-examination as to whether or not we are engaged in the kind of reach that we ought to be. My uh, guest here in this segment of the program uh, probably grows weary of being introduced as the gentleman who's the president of the organization that runs the Christian radio station in Quito, Ecuador. But the irony, of course, is that um, given the 80-plus year incredible outreach that this ministry has had uh, through radio and other means, uh, that's probably not a bad thing to be referenced to. He is Wayne Pedersen. He is president of Reach Beyond, formerly HCJB, and he's got a new book of the same title, Reach Beyond, Comfort, Courage, and the Cause of Christ. And Wayne, great to have you on the program. Well, thanks, Greg. It's a privilege to be on with you on on, uh, this afternoon and uh, share a little bit about what God is doing in extraordinary ways around the world with the whole global shift from uh, the, the real evangelism and missions that has shifted to the global south. And the greatest growth of the Church today is not in Europe and North America, but in places like South America, Asia, and Africa. And it's amazing, too, and maybe a big wake-up call for those of us here in, in the Christian West, whether we're talking about Europe or, or North America, that we kind of think that uh, we're sort of the standard-bearer, the, the paradigm-setter for um, what evangelicalism or evangelism rather ought to look like. And, 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 and certainly while you know we've played a significant role down through the years, God has been doing some exciting things in some exciting ways that are maybe perhaps by uh, – well, by Western standards, a little bit out of the norm, and yet very much within his norm. 
Well, it was 100 years ago that 90% of uh, followers of Jesus lived in North America or Europe, and those numbers have almost reversed in the last 100 years, where now about 70% of believers live outside of the North America and Europe. Uh, they're in Africa, where the church is growing uh, fantastically, in Asia, and Latin America, and now many of those countries are sending missionaries back to North America, to some of the immigrants that have come into our country from these other countries, and uh, the top mission-sending country in the world is Brazil. The second most uh, mission-sending country is Korea. So we're seeing kind of the reverse flow of missionary activity coming back to this country, and as our country becomes more and more secular and materialistic, we're seeing uh, God working in, in previously unreached places of the world. Let's talk about how that paradigm shift has taken place, and, and most notably, perhaps, what we as the Church in America um, and and the West can learn from it. Uh, I mean, there's always kind of been a, a pattern to the way we have engaged in outreach and evangelism. I think, for example, of, of some of the history of HCJB and kind of taking the, the approach of going into all the world and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ— in the case of this, using radio as a means to most effectively across those borders and accomplish all of that. And yet today, even as much as we've seen a changing face of what evangelical Christianity looks like around the globe, even the ministry of, um, well, now Reach Beyond, formerly HCJB, that's even changed a bit too, hasn't it? Well, our strategy is much different where uh, we used to be very Ecuador-centric, Quito-centric, and we brought missionaries in from all over the world to go to Quito and then use shortwave broadcasting to send the message to places like uh, Europe, Russia, Africa, Asia. Today, the strategy is much more working with local partners, training indigenous people that know the language and know the culture. Most everything we do at Reach Beyond today is through a local partner. And because they're already there and they can live on $100 a month, which is the average salary, and because they already know the language and the culture, they don't have to go to language school. They don't have to take 10 years to learn the culture. And with the right equipment and the right training, uh, they can reach their peers with the gospel of Christ. Even as we speak, we have a team over in the most populous Muslim country in the world, in Indonesia, and they're training about 28 young media professionals on how to own and run and manage a radio station. And when we leave, those 28 new, newly trained leaders will be uh, reaching their countrymen, and they're seeing those stations are seeing an average of three to five people a day come to Christ at each of their stations. And churches are being planted throughout Indonesia, and former Muslims are leading other Muslims to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Uh, imams are uh, becoming followers of Jesus and teaching about Jesus in the mosque. And it's an amazing thing that is happening as Christianity is spreading rapidly into these former countries that were strongholds for other false religions. Well, and as you indicate, Wayne, I mean, while the message is the same, it is timeless of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his um, substitutionary work on the cross on behalf of my, mankind that we might be reconciled unto the Father. Um, that That has never changed. But the methodology uh, is changing. And I, and I would wonder what the likes of a Hudson Taylor, uh, who was so uh, responsible in the 1800s for bringing the gospel to China, 
uh, would think of the indigenous church in China today that is largely all run by nationals. I mean, we know that there are certainly no uh, no missionary schools there. There are no seminaries there. There are, uh, at least of, of the ones that are above ground, the legal ones, the three self-church movement is all controlled by the government. And yet here you are with a nation that is largely devoid of much of the way that we do, quote unquote, church in the West. It's one of the fastest growing churches on planet Earth, and it's all being done at the hands of nationals. Isn't it interesting, Craig, how, uh, I mean, it's always been true, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, and some of the fastest growing spread of Christianity in the world are in in countries where there is persecution. And uh, one outstanding example is Iran, where uh, 25 years ago they could identify only about 400 believers. And today, and largely through social media, using uh, Skype and texting and Facebook and other means, plus uh, broadcasting the gospel from outside of the country with medium wave, there are hundreds of thousands of Christians, and Iran is the fastest growing uh, Christian country in the world, percentage-wise. And some of the stand countries where there's heavy persecution, the Church is uh, multiplying in fantastic ways. So persecution doesn't seem to stop the growth of the church. In fact, it's just the opposite, where there is opposition in places. uh, We're working in a place like Nepal, which uh, six years ago was a Hindu-controlled government, and the Maoists came in and overthrew that government, established a democratic republic, and now we're able to go in and start radio stations and health clinics in a country that was formerly completely closed to the gospel. So these are amazing days we're living in today, and God has given us these amazing media tools, uh, not only radio, but satellite and internet and social media, with which we can share Christ in some of the most uh, formerly closed places of the world. And of course, this all gives an underlying lesson, perhaps, uh, a wake-up call of sorts to the church in the West um, for ourselves and the enormous amount of missions work that we have to do, uh, not necessarily overseas, while well, that's certainly um, on the, the to-do list, um, more and more so right here at home. I'll never forget years ago uh, running into a group of uh, Christians that uh, were in China and uh, in the course of conversation asked them what uh, they felt the Lord had called them to do. And uh, without exception, uh, each and every one of these um, young college-age individuals indicated that they felt God had called them to be missionaries to the United States. Uh, What an amazing turn of events where in the 1800s here, uh, um, the likes of Hudson Taylor were traveling to China, bring the gospel message, and now um, the very fruit of his labor, a hundred and something years later, now feels burdened to turn around and come to the United States to bring the gospel message here. One of the things that uh, we strive to do at Reach Beyond, and that's kind of the the whole underlying theory of the book, Reach Beyond, Comfort, Courage, and the Cause of Christ, is to call the Church of Jesus Christ in North America to a stronger commitment to reach the unreached. Uh, I was involved, uh, as you may know, uh, Craig, in Christian radio for many, many years in this uh, country, until uh, God called me to this work six years ago, and the verse God used was Romans fifteen twenty, where Paul said, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where the name of Christ is not known. So in our book, we have what we're calling our mission manifesto, and it's a call to action to ourselves and to the Church in this country 
for example, we state, we refuse to stand idly by as people enter eternity without Christ when we can share the good news that transforms them through the media they use. We refuse to watch people for whom Christ died suffer in pain and poverty when we can help restore them in his name. And we say we refuse to fear the darkness that entraps people when common sense says protect yourself and stay in your comfort zone. We put on the armor of God and storm the gates of hell for the sake of the unreached, if that's what's required. Our conversation today with Wayne Peterson, we're talking about um, the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the mandate here in the 21st century to go into all the world, and um, how in many respects, while the message clearly remains the same, the methodology is changing. What are some of the lessons that we can learn here at home in America? A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. Uh, Wayne Peterson is with us today. He is president of Reach Beyond. You know the ministry uh, commonly as uh, HCJB, located in Quito, Ecuador. Of course, this ministry has been global and impacting the world for Christ for the better part of 80-plus oh, something years now. Wayne has written a new book called Reach Beyond, Comfort, Courage, and the Cause of Christ. And as we were articulating prior to the break, while clearly the message of the gospel, the hope of Christ, remains the same, the methodology of how that message is communicated and delivered has changed uh, quite significantly. And and the interesting thing is we've seen this paradigm shift, uh, Wayne, on the mission field, where now really it's largely the, the tremendous success of nationals uh, that are leading to this almost um, uh, wildfire of of uh, growth of the church in, in many parts of the world, there might be some important lessons that we here in the West can draw from what we're seeing happening in, in places like Central and South America, Asia, China, elsewhere. Well, absolutely, and uh, we are learning from our friends in places like Asia, Africa, and South America. In some ways, they put us to shame with their boldness uh, in parts of North Africa where we work and help deliver programs uh, through uh, satellite. Uh, We have local partners on the ground that work below the radar, and we don't identify them in any way. Often we disguise their voices. But if I were there, I would be praying like mad for protection. You know what they pray for, Craig? They pray for boldness, Mm. not safety. And we're so safety conscious in this country, but in that part of the world, they, they just pray, Lord, make us bold in our witness, and they don't take any unnecessary chances. But uh, last year we had one of our radio uh, producers that uh, was turned into the authorities. They arrested him, put him in jail. Uh, In jail, somebody recognized his voice from the radio broadcast and beat him because he was a follower of Jesus. And through a series of miracles, he was released in a couple of months and returned to his family. Uh, The stories don't always end that way. We know that there are people that are arrested, beaten, and sometimes killed because they follow Jesus. Uh, One of our uh, radio partners in that part of the world was listening to one of our broadcasts uh, on satellite, and his father discovered that he was uh, listening and on the website and said, Son, do you really believe this stuff? And he says, Yes, Father, I do. He didn't deny it. He just said, Yes, I believe it. And he beat his son, threw him out of the house uh, with only what he had on his back. And that young man, uh, going through the streets half-naked, 
at night, uh, no home, no family. There was a light on in a house, and in a country that's less than 1% Christian, knocked at the door, and a Christian family took him in and uh, healed his wounds and fed him and clothed him and got him into school. Today, this young man is producing programs for us in the Arabic language and reaching his countrymen. I mentioned earlier, uh, we often digitally disguise the voices of those so they won't be recognized. We offer to disguise his voice, and he says, no, I've already been beaten for following Jesus. You can let my voice go out as it is. So this is why I think we can learn something. You know, we have social persecution in this country, and we feel we're discriminated against, and that's true. However, in many parts of the world, uh, becoming a follower of Jesus can cost you your family, your job, or even your life. Yeah, ironically, it is more of a picture of what the first century church looked like. Um, than certainly anything that we've known of recent years, and 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 maybe perhaps that sense of of purpose that is motivated by uh, results, motivated by a passion for Christ and a desire to serve Him above above all else, um, is exactly what the Lord wants of us in in these uh, these times when uh, there's a better part of what almost two and a half billion people that have yet to hear the gospel message. And we know that while certainly a lot of them lie in that that all-critical 1040 window, growing numbers of them are right here at home, right here as our next-door neighbors in North America, aren't they? Well, and that's the other thing we can learn uh, in this country, because the mission field is now coming to us. And many of the immigrants that are coming to this country, I don't know how you feel about the immigration issue, but many are coming, and they are interested in our culture, Many are coming from Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, and finding Christ in this country because they're interested in the culture. Many that are coming are already believers and are starting churches, and they have come to this country to escape persecution or to have a better life and starting churches and reaching other immigrants with the gospel. So uh, I don't think uh, the, the story is over for the United States of America. I think we're going to see a spiritual harvest come here as uh, the rest of the world reaches out to our very materialistic, hedonistic, secular society in this country. Yeah, and as you point out, the mission field is literally coming to us, and the amazing thing is that then God can use this as these people influence their friends um, and family members back home, wherever their nation of origin might be, and we see the continuing cycle of the outreach of the gospel. A great book, and if you'd like to get more information about it, um, you can do so by going to reachbeyond.org. That's reachbeyond.org. Take a moment, if you would, Wayne, as our time winds down together, and tell us a bit about the I Refuse campaign. Well, the uh, I referred to that a bit earlier. The I Refuse is our mission manifesto, and if you go to our website, you'll be able to read that manifesto. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight points, and we're looking for 100,000 followers of Jesus that will go online and sign that manifesto. And the I Refuse campaign is we refuse to stand idly by as people enter eternity without Christ when we can share the good news that transform them. We refuse to watch people for whom Christ dies suffer in pain and poverty when we can help restore them in his name. We refuse to fear the darkness that entraps people. We'll put on the armor of God and pray for the unreached uh, so that more may come to know Jesus. And if you want to know more about the I Refuse, this is a call to the Church in America to take a stand to share the good news with the dark places around the world. And we invite 
many of your listeners to your show, Craig, that they would go online and sign this manifesto and make that commitment to reach the unreached around the world and even across the street. And again, information available on the web at reachbeyond.org. That's reachbeyond.org. Wayne's new book, by the way, of a similar title. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, through Amazon.com, and of course, through reachbeyond.org. Wayne Pedersen, president of Reach Beyond, formerly HCJP. Thank you for being with us on this segment of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. When you think of it, so much of life has become temporary. There are those of us with a little bit of gray around the temples, old enough to remember the fact that, well, today, no longer do you collect gold watches after, say, 25 or 30 years of service to one company. We no longer raise families and retire in the same home where we spend ultimately 50 or more years in. And our marriages, well, they no longer make it to what was once a typical golden anniversary. Many of these challenges in the way life has changed, particularly related to marriage, goes down to one core issue, that it's becoming increasingly more challenging under the changes in society today to establish and maintain solid marriage relationships. But before we completely give up hope, there are some important key steps that you can today implement in your married life to change things around in a most dynamic and God-honoring fashion. Joining me now is Dr. Greg Smalley, Executive Director of Marriage and Family Formation at Focus on the Family. And Dr. Smalley, great to have you on the program. Hey, Craig. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, isn't it amazing how so much of life in just, you know, maybe a generation or two has changed so dramatically. Remember Dad working for the same company for 30-something years? They still live in the same house that I was raised in when I was a kid. And today, all of this has changed. We don't keep our jobs as long. We don't live in the same house as long. And sadly, we don't stay in marriages as long either. Yeah. It, it's true. And I tell you what, you know, way back in the 70s through the, the I, I think the, one of the biggest things is the whole no-fault divorce. And uh, I, I don't think people really realize um, how much that has really hurt us. And, and, and I, that's why I'm thrilled as a country that right now, you know what, marriage is, is, is in the news all over the place. And I'm hoping that part of the outcome will be that we really, you know, uh, that, that we realize, like Hebrews 13.4 says that marriage should be honored by all, that, that we really learn as a country again, how do we honor marriage? What is that going to look like? Here's the absolute irony. You talk about no-fault divorce, and what we're really saying is, well, if it's nobody's fault, then it must be everybody's fault. Right. Uh, we, we all play a role in this. And toward that end, you've come up with some key steps that I think we can go to school on today to help people better understand the important relational moments. And, you know, we know that, that good marriages take time and they take work. But if you begin to break it down into all of the, the incremental elements, a lot of this stuff, quite frankly, is just good common sense if we just take the time enough to examine it and begin putting it into practice in our daily relational lives. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I believe one of the best things that we can do for our marriage is that we've got to learn how to work through and manage conflict. You know, there's a lot that we need to do for marriage, but if we started there, because it's inevitable, it's going to happen. You know, you can't take two people 
you know, who have different personalities and genders and, and all these things and, and expect that they're not going to bump into each other, that they're not going to, you know, have conflict, they're not going to hurt and, 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 and wound each other. And, and, and the problem that I see is that so many people are, uh, you know, are afraid to go through conflict. They avoid it, they sweep it under the rug, they, they, they want to ignore it. And, and the truth is that conflict can be used in our marriage to strengthen our marriage. That's when I get to learn more about my wife, her feelings, her needs. I get to learn more about myself, you know, and, you know, maybe it, it shows something's going on in our marriage that needs to change. I mean, conflict really is a good thing if we can learn how to do this in, in, in a healthy way. And, and this is so key, because what you're suggesting then, Dr. Smalley, is that, in, and oftentimes we'll couch this in terms of, well, I can't get along with my wife because, and we, you know, we'll pile a bunch of baggage there, or, or the husband, whatever the case might be, suggesting that there's some sort of a, a personality defect here. But what you're really talking about, and I took note of the fact, you didn't say avoid conflict. You said manage it, right. be able to work through it. So this isn't a, a personality defect. It's a skill deficit. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, because I think a lot of times we use the phrase even conflict resolution. And I don't know about you, but I don't, I, I don't think the goal is to try to figure out some resolution so much as it is the process. Can we develop a process that we can use anytime conflict comes up. So whether we resolve it or not, it's not the issue. I think it's how we do it. And unfortunately, most couples do this in a way that just doesn't work. And one of the biggest things that I see with couples is that we're taught to when we get into an argument, when we get hurt, when there's a problem, that we need to just hang in there and power through it and try to talk it through. And I think that is the biggest and worst advice that you can, you can give a couple. Because one, I don't think it works. When, when you're hurt, when you're wounded, when you're upset, when you're frustrated with your spouse, what I think is going on is you get these buttons of yours, these emotions get pushed, these buttons get pushed, and then your, your heart literally kind of closes. You shut down, and then you just start reacting. And, and, and in that mode, there is no way that you're listening. You're not able to hear. You're not able to understand. And that's why when people are in an argument, they need to kind of separate from each other. They need to take a break, a time out from each other. But I'm telling you, Craig, we're not taught to do that. We are taught to try to power through it. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. I mean, it's, it's setting people up for massive failure. And that's really what, what I did in the book was to try to show you here's a process. Because I, what, what I love is that if you take a break and work on you first, you need to learn how to get your heart back open. Because when people have open hearts, we're able to talk all day long. And this is so key because, you know, I would imagine in, in your role as executive director of the Marriage and Family Formation at Focus on the Family, you're hosting a nationally syndicated radio talk show, you've got patients, you've written books, the whole nine yards. Yeah. That you talk and hear from people all the time, this whole issue of conflict. It sounds to me that this is this is perhaps then less about conflict. At the end, it it's not this major difference between the two of us. In fact, we both both sides of the marriage really want the same thing, don't we? That yes. is, to 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 the, the right to be heard and the need to hear. Right. We want the, you know people want connection. We want we want to be connected. We want intimacy. You know we we want to be heard, understood, listened to, like you were talking about. And it's just sadly what happens is that in that moment that we're hurt or in conflict or whatever it is, that, that 
we're, we're, we, we are just taught to tr- keep trying to, to push through that, and, and, and it doesn't work. That's why one of my very favorite verses is in Matthew 7, 2 through 5. It says, why do you look at the dust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the log in your own eye? And I love that the scriptures give an order. It says, first, first, get the log out of your, your own eye. Then you can see clearly. And, and how I relate that back to conflict is saying, okay, when, when you're in the middle of an argument, you have to understand that your heart has now closed. You are shut down. And when you are shut down, you are more likely to, to react, to say things, to do things, to retreat, you know, in, in a way that, that's not going to help you get to where you want to be. Therefore, quit trying to talk this through first. That's part two. Part one is that I need to go off by myself and, and figure out what is going on. I need to let my emotions settle down. I need to, you know, for me, you know, prayer is such a great time to... to just to settle down, to get God's perspective, to say, hey, God, I don't know what's going on, but boy, I'm, I'm mad about something. What, what, what is the button that got pushed? You know, what, how, how do you want me to, to treat my wife? You know, you created her. Help me to understand her. You, you see what I'm saying? I mean, if you work on you first and get your heart back open, see, then you can come back into that conversation. And, it, and, and I promise you it will go so much differently. We fail at communicating through conflict because usually both hearts are closed and, and you just can't talk through that. And, and so often, don't we also, Dr. Smalley, put so many expectations and demands on the other Oh yeah, that we can't control, and yet what we can control, we do nothing with. So right. if we're concerned, for example, about the fact that we feel as if we're not being heard, our spouse is not hearing me, and yet we've closed down and we're so focused on what we're not getting that we ourselves are not hearing our spouse either. Right. Well, one is an observation, but the other is something that I can actively change and that I have 100% control over. Totally. I mean, that's, again, I can, I can control me. I can choose how I want to show up. And, and, and that's why I, I say to people, you've, you've got to have a break. you just got to step away. Tell your spouse, you know what, right now I can't think clearly. I'm shut down. I'm going to go, but I'll be back. And, and, and that's, I think that's the, the, what we do to then set up the opportunity to really to work through conflict. If I can get my heart back open, see, now I'm, I, and I tell people, you, well, you know how your heart is open is when you want to be a listener, when you are willing to be a listener. I love in the, in the Chinese language, there's the, 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 the character, the symbol for the verb to listen is made up of three kind of little characters that come together. One stands for eyes, one for ears, and the other for open heart. Isn't that cool? Mm. So to, to listen is with your ears, your eyes, and your open heart. That's the evidence to me that you're ready to enter back into that conversation, that dialogue with your spouse when you are going, I want to I seek to understand you rather than me being understood. Dr. Greg Smalley is with us today. He, of course, Executive Director of Marriage and Family Formation at Focus on the Family. Information, too, on the web at smalleymarriage.com. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of the conversation as this edition of Lifeline with Dr. Greg Smalley continues here on KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
And welcome back to Lifeline. Craig Roberts, along with our special guest in this edition of the program, he's Dr. Greg Smalley, Executive Director of Marriage and Family Formation at Focus on the Family. He co-hosts Everyday Relationships and is the president and founder of the Smalley Relationship Center. You can get more information on the web, in addition to information about his more than 40 books on the topic, at smalleymarriage.com. That's smalleymarriage.com. Dr. Smalley, just before the break, we were talking about the need to to kind of step back from the conflict instead of just trying to pile through, because that piling through process often means just making a lot of noise, uh, working a lot, very hard to be heard, but not really hearing. Right. Um, and you made mention, I found it fascinating, to, toward the end of the last segment about the Chinese character for hearing that has to do with both open eyes, open ears, and an open heart. So I guess it's kind of pulling back, moving into neutral corners, so to speak, and taking account. It's amazing how many arguments will, will suddenly build up and gain momentum, and that train is heading down the track with, with no brakes, when we take a moment to step back and really ask ourselves the question, what is this all about? We either find out that there's a whole lot to do about nothing or that it's connected to some other hurt or pain that happened in our life that, that might have just been sort of reactivated by something that our spouse did or said. That's right. That's right. And that's why I, I'm, I'm telling people that, that usually it's not that we can't communicate, that we've got to learn some new communication method telling you the problem of why we have a hard time communicating is when your heart closes you've got these buttons that are all stirred up and you're frustrated you're shut down you're now in a reaction mode and that's why the 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 biggest most important step in learning how to communicate through conflict is you dealing with you and you can't do that in the presence of your spouse you really do need to step back and and that's why i always tell people when you're sort of in this time out spot, what you're trying to do is, one, there, there is power in putting a name to how you're feeling. And again, when we're in the middle of a conflict, we're not even able to think about, how am I feeling right now, and put a word to that. And, and yet there's research that was done that showed that when, in the middle of an argument, when people separate and they, and they think through, okay, what is it that I'm feeling right now? I'm feeling, you know, devalued, disrespected, uh, uh, not good enough, like a failure. I mean, when you put a word to how you're feeling, it, it physiologically calms you down. It, 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 they see on these, these brain scans to where the, the amygdala, which is your fight-or-flight center, it's kind of the emotional part of your brain, brain is all lit up. When you identify how you feel, the, the brain scans show that, that all of a sudden that information moves to the prefrontal cortexes, which is how, where you make good decisions. Mm. And so even, even the act of simply going, all right, I'm separated now. I'm on my own. What? What? Yeah. What? How do I feel? What is? What's the word that I would use? It just. It has tremendous power. It's that simple. And then I. I think as Christians, what's so cool is that we take then those emotions to the Lord, and we're asking for His truth. What is true about me? Is it true that I'm a failure? Is it true that I'm being disrespected? What's true about my wife? You know. And and I and I love that. That the, so I think there's so many verses. That, that talk about how, 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 you know, God is truth, that he gives us the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth will lead us to all truth, you know, that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that's what I, I love. You, when you're then able to do that, you now can come back in and just do what you were born to do, which is you can talk 
through things with your spouse when you're calmed down and your heart's open. And it's you know, really at the end of that simple. And at the end of the day, reopening those lines of communication or sometimes establishing them for the first time, as much as that seems to be uh, particularly intimidating, particularly for us guys that don't do a real good, good job emoting, uh, and we, we, we get very intimidated by this idea, you know, that sense that, well, my wife does all the talking and I do all the listening, things of that sort. You've put together a list of five daily relational moments that I think, Dr. Smalley, really go a long way toward teaching us just how easy it can be to communicate at that level so that the needs are getting met by, by both sides of the, of the couple. Take a moment, if you would, in the, the four, three or four minutes that we have left in our conversation. Just walk us through, if you would, these five daily important relational moments. Absolutely. You know, I, and, and, and why I think these moments are so important is that I think you could, you could kind of boil everything down to doing this. If you want to have a great marriage, you need to, one, learn how to manage conflict well. But then on the other hand, you've got to learn how to invest, proactively invest in your marriage every day. Marriage doesn't have cruise control. You can't set a setting and think it's going to be okay. So as long as you're managing conflict, investing in your marriage, I'm telling you, you're going to have a good marriage. And I think one of the best ways to invest in your marriage, instead of adding all kinds of new things to your already busy plate, you know, because, Greg, I I see that that so many people are just so busy, exhausted, worn out, too much going on, overflowing plate, that when I tell people, hey, instead of adding, you know, five more things you need to do now for your marriage, what if we just looked at what's going on every day and take advantage of those, use those everyday moments to strengthen your marriage? For example, every day you're going to leave the house during the work week. How you choose to leave your home can either strengthen your marriage or take away from your marriage. And, and, and what we know is if you take a moment and just, you know, let's say you, you pray for your spouse, you encourage them, and, and, and give each other a kiss goodbye, that right there, you have strengthened your marriage. That should take no more than 10 seconds. See, you're not adding something else. You will leave the house. How you choose to leave can, can strengthen your marriage. You're going to return home, you know. You, how you come home and re-enter your house in the evening can be used to strengthen your marriage or not. So when I come in, do I beeline for the TV? Do I beeline for the kids? Or do I walk up to my wife and say, hey, great to see you. You know, love you. Give her a kiss. Can't wait to spend time with you tonight. You I mean, just something that simple. Again, not add, you don't add anything. You're going to walk into your home. Just walk in, <laughs> into your home in a way going to strengthen your marriage every you're going to fall asleep at some point how you say good night to your spouse can strengthen your marriage simply taking 30 seconds to pray for your spouse to thank him or her for something they did throughout the day that you appreciated thanks for hey picking up my dry cleaning today was a big help i mean you see what i'm saying it's just it's it's identifying some key moments you know during the day as we're gone you know can i not Send a quick little text message to my wife. I mean, I've got to be gone. Why not just send her a text message and, and just tell her, love you, thinking about her. I actually did this the other day and accidentally, I mean, I got into sort of this, this crazy little message to my wife, sent it to my boss <laughs> by mistake. And so he texted me back going, please tell me this was meant for your yeah, wife. I love you thinking about said, you. Absolutely. And I said, no, it's for you. But uh, that made our meeting awkward. But anyway, <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? I mean, there, there are moments. 
you know, for you the moment might be um, we're, we're taking our kids to their sporting practice. You know, well, can you use that to, to ask each other questions? You can listen to the radio. You can do a bunch of stuff. You can be on the phone. Or we can ask each other just some, some great questions. Hey, you know, what, you know, how'd today go? How are you feeling? How are things going between you and the kids? You know, what's one thing God's teaching you as a plate? You see, there, there are moments that go on that I think most of us just let these moments go by. And, and, and let's take those back and use them as things that can really strengthen our marriage. And, of course, the irony is it doesn't take a lot of time. It doesn't take a very little min- min- minimal amount of effort. It's simply giving a greater sense of importance to our spouse, to a sense of honoring them and valuing them. And what's the old saying? It's, you know, it's the little things in life that count. And it would be amazing to see how far, and I would just, I want to challenge both the ladies and the men in the audience. Try it. Oh, you don't understand how difficult things are in my marriage right now. Purpose in your heart today to start tomorrow. When you get up in the morning, compliment your spouse. Honey, I'm glad that uh, you're my spouse. I hope you have a great day. Um, Speak words of encouragement into their life as you know, your husband is going off and you know he's got the big meeting today. Say some words of encouragement. Stop at the door for a minute, guys, before you're leaving and saying, honey, I know it takes a lot of time and energy to, to maintain this household. I know you've got a big agenda today. You've got to take the kids to soccer practice and you've got a doctor's appointment. You've got to go shopping and all these things. I just want to let you know I value you and I recognize and appreciate the hard work that you do in creating such a loving home for us. Wow, how far that will go. And then, as Dr. Smalley points out, look, even the guys, we got time to check the box scores in the middle of the day. Send a quick text. Try not to send it to your boss, though. <laughs> and, and, let, and let your spouse know, thinking of you, babe, I hope you're having a great day. Can't wait to see you tonight. When you arrive back home, pause for a moment. You realize that your spouse, if she's been home all day, uh, and maybe young kids in your family, she's been really deprived of any adult communication. She's she's eager to connect with you. You, on the other hand, you've been out in the working world all day long. You don't want another conversation. Find a moment, if you can, between the two of you to just acknowledge each other and each other's needs for a moment. And then, finally, as you end the day, uh, to show a sense of gratitude and appreciation, a moment in prayer together, And if you implement these steps, I think you'll see an amazing turnabout in your marriage relationship. Dr. Greg Smalley, Executive Director of Marriage and Family Formation at Focus on the Family. More information, too, on the web at his website, smalleymarriage.com. And Dr. Smalley, thanks so much for the time today. Oh, Craig, my pleasure. Thanks for all that you're doing to encourage marriage. You bet. Keep up the good work on your end as well. There's Dr. Greg Smalley from Focus on the Family.